Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Celebrating 25 years of the Armstrong and Getty Show. The humble dolphin, Jack. Which is a fascinating creature. Its ability to communicate, echolocate, the social uh, you know, life of dolphins, how they hunt in, in teams and communicate during the hunt. I think when we fully reckon with the dolphin's true intelligence, it'll be you know even more impressive than it is right now. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating beast. Smarter than a number of co-workers I've had. It's a good point. Uh, the dolphin is a whale, by the way. It's worth keeping in mind. It's one of your smaller whales. I did not know that, although it has a blowhole, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There you go. Again with the blowholes. <laughs> I found this so cool, though, because I really like dolphins. Scientists at the Nuremberg Zoo in Germany have been trying to figure out how dolphins uh, hunt so skillfully and particularly in poor visibility. Because um, we know they have the echolocation thing, but they've discovered that they have a sixth sense. They see dead people? You gave it away. Thanks. No, uh, they have electroreception, the ability to perceive weak electric fields. I was hoping it was is... the ability to listen to AM radio. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, it's typically associated with aquatic or semi-aquatic species. This sensory skill, fascinating in its own right, has been a focus of extensive research in marine biology, but mostly like uh, your electric fishes and electric eels and amphibian species and that sort of thing. Billy Bass. But bo bottlenose, another electric fish, yes. Uh, the bottlenose dolphin possesses the ability to feel the electric signals... Put out by the systems of hidden prey. It feels, because we all have electricity in us, um, or like a neurochemical charge and discharge and stuff. That's how our brains work. That's why they call them neurons. 
But the dolphin can feel the electrical field put out by a fish, which is immeasurably faint. How crazy is that? Well, that makes me think that, uh, you know, the whole idea of um, magnetic personality or whatever charisma is or something like that. You know, what is that? Some sort of do, do some people put out some sort of charge that other people react to in a different way than other people? Right, or the whole you whirl around because you sense somebody's behind you yeah, thing? Yeah, right, right, right. I wonder if that could be some sort of as yet un- misunderstood uh, or non-recognized uh, ability to sense electrical fields. Maybe not. On the what you were talking about earlier about uh, dolphins being cruel to each other, that was one of the things Elon Musk was talking about on that three-hour podcast I listened to the other day, and this was on the stuff with Israel and Hamas and the world and all that sort of stuff, but he he just said the, the history of all living things is the willingness to kill other living things to get more so that they their particular family or you know genetic line uh, does better, whether it's monkeys or you know algae, really anything. And yeah. the fact that we do this is shouldn't be shocking to people, and we need to to recognize that it's just it's always going to be that way, and and try and try to stop it in its tracks, as opposed to thinking we can like I don't know legislate it out of us or poetry ourselves out of it or something. Well, there you go. There's Thomas Sowell's constrained and unconstrained visions of humanity. Do you believe that if with enough lecturing, human beings will become angels? Or do you believe humans have uh, human nature is unchanging, and there have to be incentives and disincentives to govern them? If you believe that first one, you should wear a helmet everywhere you go in case you fall, because your soft, soft head cannot protect your brain. Well, that wasn't very charitable. Oh. I happen to agree with you completely, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of that sort of thing and uh, getting back to the question of lawlessness in the streets, I thought this was so interesting um, about uh, crime in Chicago. And and they, they repeat the dishonest statistic that property crime seems to be falling somewhat. It's because people don't bother reporting it anymore. I got Clearly. my bike. I got my bike stolen in a town where bikes get stolen all the time. I didn't report it to anybody. Why would I? Yeah, what good would that do? Just take your time. I know there are probably cops out there who are like, no, it actually helps us if this and that, and we can do this and all. But you know, I think we've all felt like it's futile. But anyway, um, they deal with that, and that wasn't the interesting part. But then you look at the homicide statistics in Chicago. And I'm leading up to the punchline. This is not the punchline. Back in uh, 2012, uh, 10 years before the most recent statistics, there were 515 homicides. And that was actually kind of a blip upward. Uh, The two years after that, 2013, 2014, it was about 430 homicides. Keep that in mind, 430. 2022, it was 725. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, and there were a couple of years where it was hugely higher. Uh, just it depends on the gang wars. It depends on what is the current state of conflict between young, predominantly black gang members. And nobody wants to talk about that, which is just, again, this gets back to the whole, uh, you know, discussion we were just having very briefly. 
I don't understand you people who profess profess to be concerned about black Americans, but utterly unwilling to speak truths like by far the most likely way a black young black man dies is at the hands of another young black man. I mean, that's just undeniably true. And if you were actually concerned about these people, you'd be saying that you'd be shouting it from the highest mountaintop. But you're afraid to say it because... It feels rude or racist or something. I truly don't understand how your brain works. Anyway, um, in spite of that shocking rise in homicides, Chicago's arrest rate has hit the lowest level in a decade. And by a hell of a lot. Chicago, like San Francisco, L.A., Philadelphia, virtually everywhere with your George Soros-funded DAs, has abandoned stopping crime. These citywide arrest rates from uh, from years past, and I don't know precisely what these percentages mean, but um, have gone from 27, 28, 29% down to 11%. As crime has risen, as murder has risen. This is that whole weird backward cascading of if the woke prosecutors with their bizarre ideas about crime and punishment and race won't prosecute, the cops don't arrest. And if the cops don't arrest, the citizens don't report. They say the only reliably reported crime is homicide. Because virtually nobody says, well, what are you going to do? They killed uh, my brother. Oh, geez. But you know how it goes these days. No, nobody says that. People call the freaking cops when somebody gets murdered. But beyond that, people don't. I saw the figures the other day of the percentage of rapes that go unreported. It's horrifying. It's not even half get reported. Violent assaults, assault with a deadly weapon, uh, robbery with an assault. Especially in urban areas, people don't report that at all because they don't want to piss off the gangbangers who are doing the assaulting. So, man, the next time you hear somebody claim claim that, you know, crime's actually down in the big cities, they are either unfortunately unacquainted with what I've been telling you or they're ideological liars. But that that narrative is crazy. Won't organized crime rise out of that? Because people want order. And if the local government can't provide order, order somebody's going to come along and provide order at a cost. You know, there, are, there are a number of organizations, some of which I think did terrible, ugly things on January 6th. That was their origin. They saw the lawlessness of the left and they said, no, we're not letting that happen anymore. In Portland in particular, in, in Seattle. Um, but something like what you're describing will happen. It already is, yeah. I'm surprised there hasn't been more border vigil- vigilantism. But, I mean, n- nobody who wants to really, really control immigration and um, is outraged by the lawlessness, and they don't want to hurt anybody. I mean, that's a teeny subset of maniacs. Most of us just want the freaking law enforced. Um, so I guess that's why people don't go down to the border. What are you going to do? Hand out slips of paper that say, please go back to your homeland. You're violating our laws. <laughs> Strong and Getty Show. <laughs> Here's your freedom-loving quote of the day. A 
Lincoln, if you need him, the man from Illinois. Born in Kentucky. Poorer than you can imagine. Let him not, who is houseless, pull down the house of another, but let him work diligently and build one for himself, thus by example assuring that his own shall be safe from violence when built. That's pretty good. Yeah, uh, Churchill uh, said uh, similar things. You can't uh, build anybody up by tearing people down, Sarah. Uh, so is I Link- promise. Is Lincoln yes. the most impressive, self-educated human ever? He's certainly in the very, very top tier. Yeah, yeah, a st- just unbelievable, starving poor. He was enslaved as a boy. Um, you know, you could. That's one of the reasons he bonded, I think, with Frederick Douglass. Is they recognized each other in each other. But he basically had no education. Uh, yeah, correct. He would just borrow books and read voraciously. And he was he was so hungry to learn. He was hungry which... to be hungry. Also, <laughs> hungry for food. Well, so right it's a different, difficult environment. That's a good motivator. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to starve anymore. Here's your mailbag. Hmm? Oh. Entirely chat GPT mailbag. Wow, so we have enough listeners that know how to use that program. Okay. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, uh, John in Fort Scott, Kansas. Your old stomping grounds, Jack. Clear, clear on the other end of the state, but yes, that is my home state. Did you not go to... Uh, I thought the community college you went to was like in... Uh, or the the state school you went to was in Fort Scott, no? No, that's Scott Fort, City. That's Fort, I'm from Scott City and went to Fort uh. Hayes State, the Harvard of the Plains, we call it. Uh. <laughs> Here we go. Uh <laughs> John at the other end of Kansas writes, it might be interesting if you guys did a segment written by ChatGPT and not told us until after it was over. Uh. We we actually sort of did that a couple of weeks ago. Uh. That's going to be a lot of all of our lives, like starting last week, in terms of magazine articles, news stories, legal briefings you paid a lawyer to write, all kinds of different things that are going to be ChatGPT and you won't know about it. Yep, yep. John, a couple of things. Number one, if it sucked... People wouldn't, like, stay tuned through it to hear the punchline. They would just say, these guys suck and tune out. It's too bad they suck now. Plus, we did this a couple of weeks ago, and now I'll bet it would be, what, 5% better, 10% better, 50% better? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Oh, Michael, I'm sorry, I forgot to ask. Do we have the haiku music uh, handy, the... Traditional background music here for the beautiful, the delicate, the exquisite art of the ancient Japanese haiku. The five syllables, the seven, then the five. It's the very limitation on the poet that brings out the beauty. Interesting art if you're a six-year-old. Jordan, the physical therapist, writes, I told ChatGPT, write a haiku about not eating donuts. This was the result. This goes out to you, Jeff. Sugar-coated treats. Tempting, but willpower strong. Donut left untouched. So do you have to tell the chat GPT what a haiku is, or it just knows that? Oh, it just knows it, yeah. Oh, God, that's troubling. It almost, like, makes my hair stand up on the back of my neck. I mean, it's like, weirds me out. He says, P.S., I've been listening since I was five. Now I'm a doctor of physical therapy, soon to turn 30. You guys are great. Oh, and I guess that's supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> listening since I was two. I'm now 80. I have 17 great-grandchildren. Here's a chat GPT poem about the Armstrong and Getty show. 
then the prompt was simply write a poem up about the Armstrong and Getty radio show. Armstrong and Getty on the radio. Their voices ring with wit and flow. They talk of politics and news of the day with humor and insight in their own special way. It's interesting that ChatGPT always has poems that rhyme. Mm. From the left and right, they share their views with a chemistry that's smooth and always amusing. It doesn't rhyme very well. They're the voice of reason in a world that's insane, a beacon of hope in the morning's refrain. You know, a good, a good, a good landmark question would be: When is the first time Chat GPT writes a poem that you know is a finalist for some award or something like that? Oh boy! And it becomes a controversy of: Do we allow this in, or what if it just starts to win all of the awards? There was a controversy of that very sort having to deal with art. Uh, a guy used uh, what is the doll E or one of your uh, you know your v- v- verbal prompts to create art. Show me a spaceport painted in the style of Van Gogh and ooh, uh, Andy Warhol, yeah. for instance. Um, and it'll combine all those factors and spit something out, which is just astounding. Wow. Uh, uh, this poem goes on. And we're on. at the very beginning of this. We're not at the end of the road at this. We're at the beginning of the road of this. Holy crap. They're the voice of the people and the voice of the land with a show that's informative and always in demand. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Eric didn't ask it to write a crappy poem. You know, I guess it just took it upon itself to do that. Some of the stuff we were talking about the other day where it would, like, you know, write all this computer code in three seconds, it'd be amazed. But that one sounds like it took three seconds. <laughs> it sounds oh. like you spent three seconds on that and thought, I've got better things to do, chat GPT. And and Jesse uh, heard me saying that uh, we could use this at some point in the very near future to create music that we probably like. And I said, yeah, surely there will be a program that I can tell. All right, write me a, a dopey rock song in the style of my band using lyrics I might write. And it churn something out that would probably be indistinguishable from the next song I write. And uh, sure enough, Jesse in beautiful Chico, California said, uh, write me a dopey rock and roll song with lyrics regarding coming to terms with aging. Below is what I got in less than 10 seconds. Verse 1, I used to be a wild one, a rebel in my youth, but now I'm getting older. It's not so easy to be smooth. (laughs) I used to stay out late and party all night long, but now I'm feeling tired. My body just feels wrong. (laughs) That's pretty good. Here's your chorus. Because I'm getting older and it's not so fun. I'm getting older and I don't want to run from the reality that my youth is gone. I'm getting older and I got to sing this song. That ain't bad. It's not good. (laughs) I like that my body feels wrong. That's a good line. Yeah, amen to that, brother. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Celebrating 25 years of radio excellence. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Let me state as clearly as I can. If my father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. And not as an artist. Whoa. Hmm. Wow. Look out. The moving goalposts almost crushed me. <laughs> Funny how that's evolved. We'll discuss that and more with the fabulous Andrew McCarthy, senior fellow at the National Review Institute, National Review contributing editor. And I've often claimed that there are no other podcasts. Ours is the only one. But I'm forced to admit uh, the McCarthy Report is an excellent podcast if you're interested, particularly in legal issues uh, in the headlines. Andy McCarthy. Andrew, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, gents. How great to be with you. We just recorded the podcast, so I, uh, I appreciate the plug. Well, then I'll be listening later today because I uh, hear everyone. So here's my number one question, because this is what the Hunter Biden crowd keeps saying and everybody on the left. If his last name weren't Biden, none of this would be happening. Is that true or false? Well, it's true in the sense that if his last name weren't Biden, he would have been prosecuted in 2019 on multiple felonies. Uh, so I suppose that if his point is that uh, if his name weren't Biden, um, you know, all the stuff wouldn't be happening, which includes a sweetheart deal uh, that no one else would have had a chance of getting. And that imploded when a district judge asked a few rudimentary questions about what the basic understandings of it were, including its scope. Uh, and well, then, is there any is there any uh, truth finally, to it at all? Since it is like the number one talking point, is there any truth to it at all that he's getting any harsher treatment as opposed to you're saying he's getting a better case that he's getting any harsher treatment because his last name is Biden? No, there's no truth at all. In fact, when they finally indicted him on tax charges, which have been out there for like a million years, 
um, some of the most egregious conduct could no longer be charged because the statute of limitations had run on it because the Biden Justice Department wouldn't prosecute him. So on the topic of the sweetheart deal, I have the outrage, certainly, but not the expertise to adequately describe how incredible it is that that deal, A, existed, B, was dismantled in a moment by a competent judge, and C, the fact that the guy who crafted it remains in charge of the investigation. Help people understand how tawdry that is. Well, it's, it's really corrupt. I mean, um, by... It, Biden has been known to have tax problems going back to probably 2016, 2017, when uh, I think that was when they started to put liens on his property. Um, The Biden laptop, um, which the public became aware of in uh, the waning weeks before the 2020 election, is actually in the FBI's possession for about a year before that. Uh, so there's been monumental evidence of, uh, you know, dodgy income and his failure to pay taxes for years and years. But if the prosecutors had gone after the most egregious misconduct, which appears to have occurred between 2014 uh, and 2016, I might take it back to 2013, 2016, you couldn't prove that case without showing that. The way he was raking in the money was selling access to his father, and precisely because his name was Biden, um, and that he was making the biggest killing when Biden was vice president of the United States. So the prosecutor let that lapse. Uh, The statute of limitations on most crimes uh, in the federal code is five years. Tax crimes, the relevant ones here, it's six years. Uh, so he simply waited it out so that the evidence of what was going on when Joe Biden was vice president was no longer prosecutable. Uh, and then to try to make the case go away, um, first his plan was to just completely make the case go away, just like d- dismiss it entirely. Um, he had to back off from that. We're talking about David Weiss now, the U.S. attorney in Delaware. He had to back off of that because these IRS whistleblowers came forward uh, and explained that Hunter Biden had gotten ridiculously favorable treatment that no other American would get. So then the Justice Department and Weiss had to try to figure out a way to have a plausible plea uh, that they could sell the public, but at the same time, make sure that the president's son didn't go to jail. So what they came up with was Let him plead guilty to two puny misdemeanors, despite the mountainous evidence of tax evasion, which is a felony. Um, Have it be a no jail plea. And then um, probably most absurd at all of all um, have this this gun case that he has where he obtained a gun by misrepresenting his drug abuse uh, and then lost it in uh, I think it was uh, uh, 2017, if I'm remember right maybe 2018 um but have that which is a 10-year felony um instead of prosecuting that arrive at a diversion agreement where he would not be subjected to prosecution if he kept his nose clean which i guess you have to literally say with with hunter um for a year or two (laughs) um and under the gu- under the Justice Department guidelines, gun offenses are not available for, you know, diversion is not available for gun offenses. 
So they basically had to blow up every norm of how you prosecute cases in order to try to do this. And when the judge asked a couple of basic questions about um, what is Hunter being immunized for if he pleads guilty, um, what Hunter's lawyers said, and I believe they were actually accurate about this because this is what the Biden Justice Department wanted, um, what they were saying is if, if he pleads guilty to this, then all conduct over this five-year period going back to actually going back to 2014, so it's more than five years, um, all conduct arising out of that uh, he could no longer be prosecuted for. And when the judge looked at the U.S. attorney and said, is that true? Um, it, I think it actually was true in the sense that it's what the Justice Department wanted to do, but they knew how politically embarrassing this would be. So they said, no, no, no. Uh, uh, you know, if we find other crimes, we can still prosecute them. So I, I think incompetently, the Biden lawyers who do, by the way, they do not include the lawyer he has now, uh, Abby Lowell, um, but they allowed this agreement to be blown up because they were so angry at the U.S. attorney um, misrepresenting what the understanding was about the scope of the non-prosecution agreement. But I think it was foolish on their part because it's very clear that Weiss had absolutely no intention of prosecuting Hunter Biden on anything serious. So if they had just nodded their heads and, and sort of said, yeah, yeah, whatever, um, he would have pled guilty to these two misdemeanors. Uh, they would have tried to make the gun thing disappear. And there's no way he would have been prosecuted well, for anything more serious, particularly because the statute of limitations is run on all this stuff. So uh, uh, if you could give me a yes or no on this, because I got a follow up question to it. Do you think he'll spend time in jail? No. You don't think he'll spend time in jail? Interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, well, how much if, is if, if it was your if, if it you if it was your son and you were the only guy in America who could pardon him and spare him from a penitentiary, what would you do? Oh, you think I, he I, if okay? Kid, you pardon him? You think he won't spend any time in jail because his dad will pardon him? Okay, I get it. Um, right. Much is being made of the change in language was this on purpose from hunter yesterday as we know between the president and hunter over the years it's gone from my dad had no knowledge of my business dealings to my dad wasn't involved in my business dealings to whatever it was he said yesterday specifically that my dad wasn't financially involved is that on purpose does that mean something yeah i mean remember he's got good legal representation now all these statements that he makes are lawyered up you know so they know that joe biden has tons of involvement, um, but what they Republicans haven't been able to prove yet is that a whole lot of money went from Hunter to Joe. So they're leaning on that now. But you're right, the goalposts, as you said before, uh, have shifted dramatically from the beginning. Where you know you would you would have believed there was a complete wall of separation between Joe and Hunter, and now there's so much evidence of Joe abetting the scheme uh, that they have to now try to narrow their. Denial. I, I personally, I think the whole thing is the wrong way of looking at it. I think, you know, this, this business is Joe Biden. To think of it as like it's Hunter's business and we have to see what threads we can show to connect Joe and Hunter is the wrong way to look at it. The only way this business worked is that Joe Biden allowed it to work and allowed it to go on for years. If, if he hadn't done that, it would have been shut down in five minutes. So he's the main 
actor here. Well, this is ground so well plowed. There's probably no not any reason to go back to it. But I just find it astounding that the alphabet media, the so-called legacy media, don't get that if my son, for instance, was trading on my name, which would be useless, uh, and and he became so wealthy, he bought a Rolls Royce that I drive all the time. That 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 they don't understand right. how that benefits me. I mean, I don't. Right. I don't even know where to start with you. <laughs> Yeah, the the IRS the IRS would know because they would charge the income to you. That's the thing I find amazing. You know, the, all this, um, you know, all these legalisms that you hear in the commentary. The fact of the matter is, if I'm if somebody wants to pay me for something I've done for them, and I say, you know, don't pay me, give it to my son, the IRS considers that to be an income event as to me. Not to not to my son, and they don't let me defeat the tax by having somebody else be paid. That's the that's the way the government itself looks at it. And tell me this, uh, Mr. McCarthy: uh, to what extent is this true? A tax investigation always looks into where the money came from and where it went. Correct. It's the only way to do it. And you know, one of the more uh, you know, one of the I think more unfortunate things about the attention that was given to Hunter's tax, his long belated overdue tax indictment was all the salacious detail about how he spent the money um, kind of takes the spotlight away from the only thing that's important, which was how the money was generated in the first place. Right. $24 million from corrupt and anti-American regimes or their agents going into the Biden family coffers over just a five year period. What matters to the country is what did the Chinese and the rest of them think they were buying, not how Hunter, you know, not whether he spent it on prostitutes Ex- or guns or point. crack or whatever he was buying. Yeah, uh, He's just that good a lawyer. I'm hearing a little jealousy out of Andy McCarthy. <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. <laughs> if he had used all that money to repave orphanages, it doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> is paving orphanages yeah. a thing? <laughs> that sounds bad. They're parking lots. I was. You're asking me because you expected I paved orphanages. Is that what? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's that is interesting. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, Andy McCarthy of the National Review. Uh, his excellent podcast is the McCarthy Report, and I neglected to mention uh, the book Ball of Collusion: The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency, which is uh, thorough and terrific as well. Andy, it's a great pleasure. I hope we can do it again sometime. I, I, I'd love to. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. Um, but that that is right. I mean, and you know, we're the kind of show that definitely gets a kick out of going through the list of how Hunter spent the money and everything like that. But Hunter yesterday talking about I behaved very badly with my money and blah blah blah. He wants people to talk about that. That that is to his benefit for them to talk about the 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 whores and the gambling and the gun and the drugs and the motel room and the being naked. That's fine. Talk about that all day long. Just don't talk about. Who it was that gave it to me. Don't remind people that it was a corrupt Ukrainian company or the communist Chinese that sent me the money. The simple wisdom of one Jack Armstrong. You're 100% right. If if I got paid $20,000 for killing somebody and people either wanted to talk about I got $20,000 from killing somebody or what I spent it on. Yeah, I'd want to talk about what I spent it on. That's That's so true. They did a good job of that. I mean, part of it is just salacious stuff is exciting. And then them, you know, I re- the way I spent my money was highly inappropriate. It's, that's nobody cares or should What a care. dodge. What a great dodge. Well called, Jack. Wow, that is interesting. Yeah. Keep your eye on the ball, people.
All right, we'll finish strong. Well, you next. can keep your eye on both of his because they're generally <laughs> oh, out wagging. You know, come on, some gone pants. To, I wish we'd have gone to break before you said that. Well, I'm sorry. Quick question for you. What if you happen to miss this unbelievable radio program? The answer is easy, friends. Just download our podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the podcast version of the broadcast show, available anytime, any day, every single podcast platform known to man. Download it now, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So uh, last week we were talking about the uh, Stanford language guide that their tech department put out. Um, and, and a lot of people had the highlights, like you're not supposed to refer to Americans because that makes... The citizens of the United States, it's acting like we're the only Americans. There are 42 uh, countries in this hemisphere or something like that. Um, but the list itself is pages long, and it's definitely worth a scan. For instance, in their 
section on institutionalized racism. It's racism that's embedded in laws and regulations of a society or an organization. It can be seen in processes, attitudes, and behavior through prejudice, ignorance, thoughtlessness, and racist stereotyping. And here are your terms you're not supposed to use. And a lot of them are like black hat, black mark, black sheep, black bald, black box, etc. Because they assign negative connotations to the color black, racializing the term. They do them okay. one at a time. Yeah, lecturing. Um, the first part, clearly true. The second part, I'm not convinced that you can no. racialize colors. Mm, no, no. And if somebody says, yeah, they got blacklisted, and then I run into an African-American man, I don't think, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's right. Black? Dark skin, well, they blacklisted, would, bad, bad person. I don't like you. They would claim it was subconscious, but I don't even sure. believe it happened subconsciously. No, neither do I. Uh, that's not the way language works. But that's that's the part that's defensible. Let's continue on. Don't use the term brown bag. Use the term lunch and learn or tech talk. Historically associated with the brown bag paper test. That certain black sororities and fraternities used to judge skin color. Those whose skin color was darker than the brown bag were not allowed to join. I've now, never heard this first in my of life. All, <laughs> first of all, that's interesting. Yeah, I, that's a real thing. That is racism, colorism within black communities. Oh, yeah, I'm reading which, the... Uh... I'm reading the, the the award-winning biography of Malcolm X from last year. This is supposed to be the 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 biography of Malcolm X. A lot of stuff in there because he was very light-skinned black man, um, uh, uh, and growing up and his mom and everything and just how how big a deal that was in the black community. The hue of your how black you were or not really yeah. a big deal. I mean, like, big, but only big white deal. people can be racist. Keep that in mind. What's the title of that? Malcolm X, complicated son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look it up. Okay. Uh, so that brown bag. So the the idea that let's have a brown bag. Uh, dudes, up your own hiney, ridiculous, laughable, woke jackasses. As a young lad, I carried a brown bag full of my meager lunch to school every day for like a dozen years. That's where the term comes from. Got nothing to do with that other thing. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.